0: The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect that of the Up Together organization.
1: I'm Candy Marie.
2: And I'm Mena Diaz, and welcome to the Moving Up Together podcast.
1: Don't sit down and wait for the opportunities to come. You got to get up and make them happen. That powerful quote by entrepreneur, activist, and philanthropist, Madam C.J. Walker, is a great way to get you ready for our next conversation. Walker, born Sarah Breedlove, was a formerly enslaved child of sharecroppers who built a hair care empire that transformed
2: her into a millionaire. And today we're speaking with two women, like Walker, who dared to dream big and set lofty goals, but also accomplished them. Crystal Murphy is an entrepreneur who has several small businesses, which she launched while working full time for Up Together, the nonprofit that created the show and Jessica Jackson, a certified midwife committed to serving her community, who in fact now works at the same center in Detroit where she used to get her flu shots as a kid. Crystal and Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Now, before we get started in the conversation,
1: we want to loosen things up just a little bit. Um, And I want to start with you, Jessica. What's a fun fact about you that people don't typically know?
0: Um... (laughs) I'm really talkative, so people usually know everything about me. But I think um, super fun fact is I love to play dress up. Um, I am a thrifter. I've been a thrifter since I was 13, born out of necessity, um, but probably my biggest joy outside of my kids and my husband. Um, so I love finding cool things, mixing things together, um, doing very unexpected things, stirring up the crowd, if you will, through fashion. Um, so. Um I just love fashion, but I love the idea of like recycling, upcycling, um changing things, making it my own. Girl, you just got me so excited. So when I come to Detroit, I need you to let me know where all the spots are because girl, I love to thrift. Yes. Go together. Yes, yes. What's cool about Michigan is you can go to places where nobody cares about fashion and find some really cool stuff. Mhm. Okay, well, I'm down for that. Let me know. Let
1: me know, sis. Let
3: me know. Sounds like a plan. Now-
1: Crystal. Now, Ms. Crystal, what? Mm-hmm. What about you? Tell us a fun fact about yourself.
3: Oh gosh, I don't know. Um, I think I don't even know if it's fun or not. I, I, when I was growing up, I wanted to become a NASCAR driver.
1: Right. And like,
3: <laughs> I, like, I and to this day, I'm gonna knock on wood. I don't think this table's wood, but I'll knock on it. Um, I, I, I haven't gotten into any accidents but I'm like a, a very very skilled driver so um I don't know if that's fun or not but it's a an interesting fact I guess.
1: Girl you very sound cool. like an adrenaline junkie. Like that's super dope because we I don't fit. see it it's I mean come on we don't see a lot of black women first of all that are NASCAR drivers. So just to see you say that like that's really cool.
3: Yeah. I mean that was pre kids and I have kids and I have to <laughs> drive a little slow, a lot slower with them in the car. But when they're out of the car, watch out. Okay. okay, sis. Well, we
1: gonna watch out for you on the road. You know what I'm saying? We're in the car by yourself. <laughs> now, Crystal, um, what was it like for you uh growing up in Boston?
3: It was great. Um, I grew up with my <clears throat> both my parents. My mother was a teacher. Um, She retired about maybe six years ago, after teaching for about thirty <clears throat> excuse me thirty three years actually. Um and my dad was a mechanic and so he, you know, he ran his own businesses. Um, and so that was really great to see that dynamic of the two of them together, um, with my mother having like her set schedule and my dad just kind of like, you know, having his own schedule. So I think that, I think now to me today, I have like the best of both of those worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I grew up with four brothers. Um, so I'm the youngest of five children. So I didn't have any sisters or any like, you know, um, I played with my neighbor, um, but she was a lot younger than me. But for the most part, I mean, I, I had like a, a pretty decent life. Um, my parents took very good care of me. Um, they tried to give me the best that they could. Uh, they weren't wealthy. They weren't rich, um, but they they tried to give me all that I wanted.
1: And And I love to hear that because it shows, especially because one of the things that um, is often overlooked is the influence, right? You know, so maybe some of us may not have come from the most financially stable uh, families or or maybe you you did have a, a very strong family unit, but I'm sure that influence was felt. So with that being said, um, you know, did that also contribute to you wanting to start your own business?
3: Um, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so I think what really kind of pushed me into starting my own business, well, I know this part, um, so I, I launched my business because my daughter um, wanted to have a sleepover. So I do, so I, I do children's parties and um, it's it's grown into adult parties at this point. Um, but I started off with children's parties because my daughter wanted to have a birthday party for her, her 10th birthday. Um, and so that just, you know, her kickstarting that business. Um, and also kickstarting my my second business that I have um, with her interest uh, during the pandemic. She gained an interest of watching um, folks do makeup and, um, you know, hair styling on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of pushed me into purchasing a, a beauty vending machine. Um, so I, I have one of those as well. But for sure, my children um, have definitely in- encouraged me and pushed me into being a business owner and also just seeing like, you know, my father over time, He, my father passed away um, uh, 14 years ago, but just, you know, growing up with him and, you know, being close to him, he drove me to school every day. So, you know, I, I would go to his shop after school and just, you know, just getting to see how, what it looks like to run a business. Um, and so, you know, I just, I, that was really great for me to see and it for sure and influenced my business and becoming a business owner.
1: I love that. And speaking of uh,
3: the beauty vending machine, girl, that mm-hmm. sounds so
1: cool. I love that concept. Right.
3: <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it is doing well. Um, it's a combination of like eyelashes and and lip gloss and some other um like hair scarves and um what else is in there? That's it for the most part, but you know, there are things that my daughter picked out and said that she wanted to sell. Um to press on nails. So those are those are a lot of the things um, that she got interested in during the pandemic. like I've, I bought so many nail sets for her to learn how to do nails and Come you know on. they just ended up in the trash for the most part but you know she at least she had fun like practicing and things so mm-hmm. it turned into that business so that that was a, a good outcome from all those things I bought that she barely used
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and also a really good example for her to follow. so I just see how generationally, that has consistently happened, so that's super mm-hmm. dope. Yes. Now, uh when you plan any more Boston events, let Minna and I know so we can come through. You know, give us a reason. Cool. To come <laughs> <out there. laughs> All right. Now, Miss Jessica, you know, being that you're born and raised in Southwest Detroit, I want to know what was that like?
0: Um, a mixed bag. I mean, so Southwest Detroit is commonly called Mexican Town. Mm-hmm. Um people think there's only mexican people there i'm black and mexican um it was truly just the most diverse area i've ever heard of outside of new york and la you know there was a lot of mexican people of course but there was black people white people on my block living harmoniously um as many places in the united states don't really get to have that opportunity um i grew up i was born in 85 so you know there was a lot of gang violence uh around that time But it didn't really transcend into too much innocent bystander problems. Felt very safe. Um, I had a working class family. Mom and and dad. My mom and dad eloped to be together. Um, So Mm -hmm. they they realized, wait a minute, one of us should have finished college. Um, But super smart people. They gave us the best education. We went to the top school in the city for gifted and talented children. We knew how to read before it was time to go to school. Mm -hmm. My dad is like the fun factory. I mean, I'm just unlimited energy. So for a child, we outgrew him. As a child, he gave us so much attention and so much love and alternative ways of learning that they really just let us be ourselves. As mixed kids, um, they taught us we were 100% Black and 100% Mexican at a time where people really wanted to split us down the middle. So Mm -hmm. we don't really suffer from identity issues like many um, mixed kids that, whether it's spoken or unspoken, suffer from. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of my trauma was because of peers, not necessarily because of what was happening in the home, mm-hmm. um, but full of love. We had plenty of food. My mom cooked her tail off. Um, she lived with my grandmother so she can cook soul food better than any black person.
2: Mm-hmm. Come
0: mm-hmm. eat her food um, and um, plenty of love. So, love you know, that. it was just super healthy in that way. We didn't have any money for other things. Like I talked about thrifting Um Sometimes the lights were off, and you know, quickly, but they were off. Uh, cable was on and off. <laughs> you weren't mm-hmm. always gonna be able to watch Disney Channel <laughs> um, and things like that. But it wasn't a problem. As a kid, you don't really identify that as a problem when you're going outside and your dad built an igloo out of the snow
1: mm-hmm.
0: with a periscope where Come you on. could look. Simpler times. You know, really thinking about that. So, yeah. um, right. really dope childhood. You know, hearing about crystals you know, family and, you know, just having that parent who, parents were professionals. You know, I view a mechanic as a professional. I love that skill. Skill trades are just so beautiful to me. Mm -hmm. Um, My parents didn't have that. My mom was a a waitress. She worked construction. My dad worked um, in auto sales and like um, um, for like a carpet tile place, things like that. But I always had respect for them. But I always wanted to be that professional that came for career day. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I saw these people who came and they were valued. Thank God that now the skilled trades are valued also. Mm -hmm. My daughter's um, um, career day, the dopest person to come was a construction worker who brought a wheelbarrow full of toy trucks. I said, you're out shining us today. And I don't know how I feel about that. So I'm just so glad that we've created that respect, respect for Mm -hmm. culture. Right. But yeah. also respect for the working class. Right. Mm-hmm. That it's 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 not a bad thing. Right. No. It's not something to put aside or act like it's not happening.
2: The fact that nowadays um, the actual skill set is is finally coming back full circle. It's like, oh, we actually do need mechanics. We really do need engineers. We do need uh, carpenters because, uh, you know, there's such a lack thereof. Where it's just like, oh, okay, well, people actually need to start learning these traits. And those traits can transition into self-owned businesses. Most definitely, especially right. for
0: people of color. Yeah. respect needs to follow. Exactly.
1: Yeah, exactly. And they're often looked down on because they're not glamorized like some of these other things. But they're needed, too. You know, they're also important. They're and foundational. Love, they're foundational, exactly. <laughs> and speaking of foundational and foundations, it's just so... uh refreshing to hear about the strong foundations that your families both built you and crystal and you know just listening to you and leading up to my next question uh i can hear you know the nurturing side of you you know just hearing about you talk about your little people and you know hearing about the foundation that your parents laid for you um, you know is that what inspired you to want to be a midwife you know when did you know that that was what you wanted to do
0: So I've taken some time to like go through this question because I get asked it a lot because there's not many young midwives. I mean, Mm -hmm. most midwives are like 70. Um, So my mother was an interpreter for the clinic that I, well, excuse me, she didn't work at the clinic that I work at now. She was a volunteer of the community. So people would call upon her because they knew her and my grandmother, who was a seamstress. And they would say, hey, this person's pregnant. They don't speak English. Can you please interpret for them? Mm -hmm. And they would maybe pay her a little bit or nothing. And she would go help or go to the hospital for them. So many times my mom wasn't at home or I had to go with her to the clinic because she was, you know, having this service. So from a young age, I was able to see the disparity in my community. Um, Mm I had no, I had I'd never really had many friends because we went to school outside of the neighborhood. Um, But one summer I befriended some girls. I might've been like 13 or something like that. And I was Mm -hmm. talking about, oh, I have to leave and go to the dentist or like something like that. And they looked at me like, like I was crazy, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, you know, the idea that you don't even know to take care of yourself, that it's not even, it's not foundational. It's not important, right? So that was small. That was a seed. Um, the soil was my mom and and her actions in the community, right? And I thought, I don't know, I really want to help kids. I thought I wanted to be like a child psychologist. I knew that I had anxiety and like, you know, I didn't have a word for it, but I knew it was a feeling. Um, there's a couple things, but I also came from that first primary black Mexican world, which is you can be a doctor, a lawyer, engineer, psychologist, maybe you might have heard of that, but I didn't even know you went to school to be a nurse. So I went to Michigan. I went with the intention of being an OBGYN. I thought I would serve by serving women. Um, So I did my bachelor's in women's studies. And one of the classes, one of the first classes I took was childbirth in many cultures, thinking I'm about to be an obstetrician, right? Mm -hmm. And it was all about midwives across the world, all about traditions amongst women. I was like, that's what I want to do. How do I do this? Mm -hmm. And then I found that you had to be a certified nurse midwife. As opposed to a certified midwife, direct entry midwife, things of other school uh, educational sets um, for you to get covered by insurance. So I had to get another mm-hmm. bachelor's degree in nursing to then get a master's degree as a midwife. So um, it was a lot. It was, I mean, you know, first generation stuff. You well,
1: know?
2: Yes. <laughs> first, generation first generation stuff. stuff. Listen. <laughs> first generation
1: stuff. And I've said and then, this before. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. No. I had I had now, I was, I was going to say, I've said this before in another podcast, but a lot of us are the very first in our lineage to do a lot of things, mm-hmm. you
0: know? Yeah. I have an older brother who was at Michigan before me, um, but he was very isolated in different ways due to his own stuff. So he was there for me. But my journey was very, very individual um, mm-hmm. and very much so very tough. Very tough, but I'm living very uh, much so a life of ease. I'm making sure my kids, as you, we talked about generationally with Crystal or her kids, uh, these kids are going to know what a vacation is.
2: Yeah, come on. We are our
0: ancestors. <laughs> the rest that they prayed for, mm-hmm. my kids will rest mm-hmm. more than they will work.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you for saying that, and also thank you for really like being as detailed as possible because I want our listeners to understand our journeys, right? You know, because sometimes we see uh, people that are successful. And a lot of us don't necessarily know someone that has gone and, and done that same path or taken up that career. So I guess for, for the both of you and setting a goal to become a midwife or an entrepreneur, you know that's, that's one thing. Um, but there are lots of people out there that set goals, but not everyone reaches their goals. And more than anything, I want people to feel empowered in knowing that There is information out there to help them and others in their social circles, their families and their communities. So what was it for each of you? And I want to start uh, with Crystal that helped you actually reach your goal.
3: Wow! I think um, I mean, I've always kind of looked at goals as, you know, like the sky's the limit. You know, like you can have a small goal, you can have a large goal, but I think the fact that I always and I I say this to other people too: as long as you're alive, like you can keep going and you can keep working towards your goal. Whether it takes you, you know, 20 years to to graduate from high school, you know, you graduate when you're 40, or you know, you have a smaller goal or something much larger. As long as you're working on it every day, like you should be proud of yourself. And so that's just something that. It really sticks with me and really, like, pushes me to continue with with any of my goals, you know, whether they're just, like, to sell my house. (laughs) Like, that's that's a whole other conversation. Um, (laughs) Or if it's, like, you know, just, you know, wanting, um, you know, to to get back into the gym. And, like, you know, I, I talk with my teammates all the time. Like, I have three daughters and my youngest is three. And so she's been with me every day of her life. Like, I have not had a day away from her, a night away from her. Like, she's been with me every day and she's been, like, you know, uh, like, Zoom bombing, if that's what we call (laughs) it. When I have my team meetings, like, she's here, like, just popping in through the filter, like, waving her hand and everything. And so, you know, it's, like, my goal now is, like, to really, you know, carve out a little piece of my day for me. Right, like even mm-hmm. though I'm working, trying to figure it out, trying to be a good mom, be the best mom I can be, you know, and and work towards just, just, um, just greatness, right? Like mm-hmm. I still have to find a time for me, and so that's just like one of the goals that I'm working on. So I just say to anyone who who has goals, just as long as you're alive, as long as you're breathing, work on those goals and be proud of yourself as you go along.
1: Mm-hmm. And and really quickly, I want to add to what you just said. I think it's also important that our children see us creating balance for ourselves. They Mm -hmm. see that we don't have to look ourselves in the mud because the generations that came before us, we did not see that. So we didn't know what that meant or what that looked
3: like. Mm -hmm. So
1: thank you
3: for saying that. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that just reminds me of my mom and how hard she worked as a teacher and You know, even sometimes I would have to go to to school with her. I I actually did a a year of school with her. She wasn't my teacher. Um, I was in an advanced work class. So I was like down the hall in like this uh, sheltered little corner. Um, but my teacher, she made sure that I was treated just like all the other children in the school. I had to file out with everyone and stand by her side and wait till everyone got on their bus or they were uh, a walker and, you know, they had their dismissal time. And then I would walk back up to my classroom and then I'd have to walk to my mother's classroom. So, you know, no one like I didn't get special treatment is, is what I'm trying to say. But my mother for sure, like, you know, she was a teacher from the moment she woke up until the moment she went to sleep. And she's she's just spent so many hours of her day just, you know, like teaching and then coming home, having to um, work on her curriculum and her, you know, her lesson plans and grading assignments and, you know, uh, calling parents and letting them know how the students are doing. And, you know, just it was just a lot. Um, And so I I definitely have used my mother's experience. Um, It's influenced me to not work. Um, so hard and like, you know, find time for myself Like because my mother is just, my, my mother's a little sick at this point now, but, you know, like with, with her just, it was just, a, she was just a teacher and she loved it. And so that's, that's also why, like, I never really um, understand the fact that she was like doing too much because she really loved it. And I know she had a passion for teaching the students in the city of Boston. And I admire that as well. Um, but she just, she just worked herself to the bone. And I think for a lot of women, especially women of color, like you're saying, like we've, we've seen that through generations, our, you know, our grandmothers, our aunts, and, you know, our mothers working themselves to the bone. And like, that's Mm -hmm. just the saying that (laughs) goes along with that. Like you're, you're literally doing that. Um, And so I, I don't ever want to do that because if, if I am like, you know, so tired and I can't, Take care of myself. Like, who's going to take care of my children? And so, I want them to see the example of right. you know someone who's able to balance and have an equal balance as being a, a woman, a mother, you know, a, a career, um, a career woman, you know, someone that is employed and having passions and the hobbies and you know just just trying to be well-rounded. Um, that's that's just something I work on, and I, I want them to for sure see that. And, and we need.
1: Yeah, that balance is important. And, and we need you because when we heal ourselves, we heal our children. Right. So, um, you know, I want Jessica, I want you to weigh in on this. And then Mena, I also want to bring you in on this question, too, because I think that there is something that our our listeners can learn from each of us.
0: Yeah, I just want to give some snaps to Crystal, because that that's the season that I'm in very much so. Um, I just got out of a season of guilt. Um Mm-hmm. And understanding the things that my mom did do. My mom, Mienta trabajadora, she's yep. working her tail off. But there were things that I didn't notice as a child that I didn't notice until now that I have kids. Like my dad being a fun factory. So she didn't have to put out the fun energy. So she could do all the house stuff. Mm-hmm. Her, her energy expenditure wasn't what I thought it was. And I'm over here in the fun factory and the mom stuff. And thinking I can do it all. Lunacy. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> we go on weekend vacations and stuff now, so we're good. Um, but in terms of the question, the biggest thing that I would tell people is to not be afraid to take risks. We're risk averse being the first. We're risk averse because we don't have money backing us. Mm-hmm. We're risk averse because nobody's done anything before for us to pull back and be a safety net of sorts, right? So um, I could just cry thinking about why I got married and my best, best friend whose dad played in the NFL. Beautiful way of like taking care of their finances, beautiful family, just beautiful situation. Somebody who I think has it all together and does everything right. She said in her speech to me, she said that I knew how to take risks and I almost lost Mm -hmm. it. Because I have anxiety. So anxious people don't take many risks because we want things, we want to know what's coming up because, you know, it just makes us feel more safe and well, right? And I, it really made me take a glance at all those individual steps that I took that really were game changers in my life as the first. And they were most definitely risk taking things. For example, the first one taking out student loans to go to school. The message that many people in our communities take and their families, because many times the parents say you're not doing it right, is that if you take out this money, you're going to be in debt the rest of your life, as opposed to this debt is going to allow you to have education that's not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. So now it's not promised. I'm not saying it's not promised, but you're more likely to be able to live more of a life of ease if you do get a college education. Um, so that was the first one. Like, I don't care how much this stuff costs. I'm going to school because I'm going to be a nurse and I'm going to be a, a doctor. So I'll be OK. Um, believing in yourself and taking risks, excuse me, because if you have no self-belief, then the risk doesn't matter. Right. You're taking a risk because you you, you betting on yourself and you know you're going to get it together. Right. Um, the second thing was switching careers. So going from my degree in women's studies to, oh, my God, I got to. This next semester, I'm about to start grinding, taking 18 and 20 credit hours at a time so I can graduate from Michigan in four years mm-hmm. and have my prerequisites done to get into nurse school, University of Rochester in upstate New York. I'm gonna do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna be social and have fun at the same time. Um, I don't know how. Through, you know, there's a lot of healing that happened during that time. I lost about 40 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, my anxiety went from, let's say, a 10 to a 2 due to um losing that weight, finding exercise, meeting my life partner um, mm-hmm. who changed the game for me and calmed me significantly. Um, so just a lot of different things. And then most recently, my job at the clinic that I got all my vaccines at as a kid that my mom interpreted at, uh, my husband and I were moving back to New York, moving back home from New York. We had my daughter, she wasn't one yet. We're going home to have more resources. And my husband had two interviews. He's rocking and rolling. He's about to, you know, have, have his stuff set up. And I'm like, I don't have nothing. Um, he's like, why don't you work in the suburbs? You know, I'm sure you could. Why aren't you applying at these hospitals where you probably make more money? It'll be a more cozy environment. I said, I'll be damned if I give myself as a resource to a community that I didn't grow up in. Hey. Well, he's like, well, I'm <laughs> really cool. like, I'm really cool. Like, I'm yeah. top notch. So, you know, I'm going to be arrogant about that. Right. So he said, what you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I prayed about it. And I sent a cold email to my now boss. And I said, which all the practitioners are primary care practitioners. Mm -hmm. There's no midwives, no orthopedics, no, I mean, no specialists of any kind, whether they're nurse practitioners or doctors that work there. I sent a cold email. I said, I'm from the neighborhood. I speak Spanish. This is my degree. Please let me serve your women and children. Five days later, he mailed me back. He said, I spoke to the CEO about you. I said, Whoa. (laughs) I met with him. This is January. I met in March when I came home to visit. He was like, Cool. We want you. Let's do this thing. They didn't have a position, really, didn't have space. And then I came, we moved home in May. I started working in July.
2: Oh my God. Um,
0: So me taking the risk of, if you don't ask, you're never gonna know. Right. Ask What's the worst
2: they could say? No. What's the
0: worst they could say? So right. I'm yeah, say, I
2: am not even too.
0: To a young person, let's say somebody who hasn't even went to college yet, just figuring out what they want to do, might change their name, change their way five times before they get to school. And then when they get mm-hmm. to college, five more times. Mm-hmm. Finding a mentor, seeing somebody that you look up to and saying, Hey, can I just follow you around? Can I just hang out with you once a month, once every 2 months? Can we just email each other? Most people want to pay it forward. Many people don't know how and don't really want to be a part of like boys and girls club or doing whatever. Um so seeking out a mentor and taking risk and betting on yourself.
2: Come on. I love that. Yeah. None of these ladies did not come to play
1: today. No, to they did And
2: really? you know what? I, I want to emphasize something that both of you mentioned, and it was you saw your parents in basically in survival mode. And one thing, you know, my mom was an immigrant to this country. My mom was always in survival mode. She was always working. She was always doing something. I, I always say this. I have so much respect for her because she not only would clean two houses a day, she'd come home and the house was immaculate. I, it takes me two days to clean my living room. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> So the fact that you guys said that you saw that from your parents, it was like survival mode, survival mode. And that you are, you've learned that because they gave you that, they, they put themselves to that. This has given you the opportunity to be able to say, OK, I know what survival mode is. I know what to do if I have to. But I'm going to make the choice to take a risk and actually do something that I want to do. Because all those little seeds keep just continue to get planted, and then you grow a forest instead of just growing a tree. You eventually grow a forest around you, and that's what you guys are doing with your children. Yes. So seeing that is just super dope, and
0: you Thank know it you. just it's we encouraging.
2: Yeah, it's Thank encouraging. You. We don't see it sometimes.
0: You don't see don't. the forest <laughs> through the trees, yeah. exactly. Because we, we're in mode of like, okay.
2: 1 p.m., 2 p.m., 3 p.m. Right. Let's go, let's go. Exactly. And the fact that you guys have taken that and and been able to flip that, that is literally our parents' goals for us. So moving on with that, I I do have a question for both of you because Laura knows, Candy and I, working in media, we definitely have gotten this a million and one times. Growing up, you guys set goals for yourself, whether those goals changed later on. okay, you know, of course they did um, or didn't, you know, depending on what you guys are doing now, whether you dreamt of it as doing it as children. Did anybody growing up or even in school tell you, you you can't do that? You you can't do this. Like, did you ever experience that? And how did you react to them? I I can't I can't pull
3: um, uh, an example from when I was a a child. Um, I can pull one from when I was an adult. And that, that example definitely had me in my feelings. Um, And, and you know what, now that I think about it, it, it probably was some, some, uh, some fuel to my fire and making sure that my business does well. Um, So, so someone very close to me actually said that to me, like, you know, like you're, you're doing too much, like, you know, you don't know how to run a business, like how are you going to do this? And be a mother at the same time.
1: Wait, what? 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 Mm. Yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. Mm. not yeah. hater energy. All, all <laughs> of it, <the, yes, laughs> just super hater energy. Um, yeah. So, like, I I, I feel like I kind of just like shoved that in the back of my memory somewhere. But um, yeah, I, I remember that now. <laughs> and you know, it when I when I heard that, I just felt um, I just felt so defeated. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like this is someone that that should be like supporting me and, you know, making sure that, um, you know, I feel excited and, and keeping my momentum going with my business. And, you know, like they just kind of like pulled me down and, and made me like reevaluate everything. Um, but uh, needless to say, I, I put myself in like fast gear mm-hmm. and I, I sat and I did my research. I wrote a business plan. Um, you know, I, I, found like different resources within the city to help me out with, with, uh, jumpstarting my business. And here I am, like it's, it's growing. And, and it's so funny because I often say, even to myself, I, I think that example, um, is still kind of, it still kind of haunts me a little bit. And it, um, it, it puts the thought in my mind that I, I probably am doing too much and I should probably like sell my business. And I have a friend that helps me with my business now. And <clears throat> oftentimes, like like I'll get into that mode and I'm like, oh, you know, like I have too much going on. Like I need to sell the business. And then I'll get a request for like an amazing, amazing opportunity. To And it also makes children happy. And so that that's just kind of like the additional push to like keep going, because mm-hmm. I know that there's very, very limited people. Uh, let me take that back um from what i can see there are no other businesses in my area that are doing what i do mm-hmm. and so i would i would hate to be the person to to uh, cause a bad memory for a child because they couldn't have the celebration that they they really wanted mm-hmm. and so that just kind of like makes me keep going and say okay they reached out to me for a reason like i must be doing something good i must be doing something great right and mm-hmm. so yeah, so I'm 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 just now like starting to own that my business is really dope. And like, you know, I'm I'm now like starting to share it with other people, like hey, like this is what I do. And like I'm starting to wear my my hoodie outside that has my logo on it. And like before I would like, you know, I don't want anybody to know that it's me that's running this business, or I don't want anyone to to know that I am running a business. Um, but now I'm like I'm really proud of it. And my daughter, especially my seven year old. Like she tells me all the time, like, mommy, that looks so good. Like, can I come with you to the parties? And so sometimes on the weekends when we go to parties, like she's there, like she has helped me with at least four parties and she's so good at it. And to the point where uh, someone else, I have uh, a few other helpers on my team and they did a party and they FaceTimed me to show me what it looked like. And my 7 year old was like, no, she jumped in and she was like, no, you have to move them closer because it doesn't look good. <laughs> And they said, okay, let me find out I'm working for a seven year old. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, yes. And like, you know, it's just, you know, it, that that example just like, you know, it, it's it's there. It's in my subconscious. And, and like it, it's it's there. It's like pushing me to keep going. So nothing from when I was a child, but definitely when I was an adult, mm-hmm. somebody had the the hater juice. And I'm showing
2: them that they were a hater and <laughs> what they were saying was was not right. And you know, it's gonna be all right. That's the best feeling when you don't have yeah. to say anything, you just show them. That's yeah. right. right. Exactly. exactly.
0: Just because yeah. people are afraid to take risks, right? Uh-huh. That's a question for themselves, really. That's it's projecting right. like, their how, it. fear. How, how did she do that? How does she yeah. really feel like about doing that? Instead of a hater mode, it's it's a self-reflection. Yeah. So that's what people need to go to therapy for, but Yeah, that's Yeah,
3: that's a really smart. great point. Yeah, cuz I and I always say that too, like you know, you, you never know, like if you don't ask or if you don't try or if you don't do, you never know what the outcome is going to be. So, you know, how why why would you give up on yourself before you even start?
1: For me, um, when I think about starting a business, you know, uh, like I said, a lot of us are first generation and a lot of things where we didn't have people around us that started businesses. We're the first in our families to be entrepreneurs. So I know we didn't get a chance to really touch on this, but we kind of sort of did just a little bit. Were there any major barriers for you? Um, And hopefully, you know, people listening can also relate to this, just in terms of how much money you might need to reach those goals, you know, or anxiety that may have kicked in uh, where you found yourself still trying to figure out figure it out. And then you look around, you're like, wow, okay, I I haven't accomplished anything yet because it just seems like it's just so hard. It's so difficult, Um, you know, uh, just in terms of money and resources. um, So can you both talk to us about the roles that people around you played, or even your community played in helping you accomplish your goals Mm -hmm. to you get to where you are today.
3: The one thing that I kind of I struggle with a lot and you know so another business that I I started um I opened an event space. I don't have the event space now. It closed uh, due to the pandemic. I had to close it uh when we started to have to quarantine uh, um not quarantine when we had to kind of shelter in place. I closed it during that time, but before that, you know, there was a lot of paperwork that was associated with starting that business and like it's things that that wasn't taught to me, and I'm like, like where would you learn how to do these things, you know? And so, like even having to go down to um, the boarding the boarding department uh, within the city to change the zoning of the building, you know, like they're asking for documentation, and I'm like, well, well, how how would I know what that is, you know? I, I didn't. I, who goes to school to to learn how to change a zoning unless you're, you know, trying to get a job in that? that uh, arena, but, you know, a, a normal person, a, a just a common everyday person wouldn't know how to do those things. And so, you know, there was a, a lot to learn, um, a, a lot to kind of figure out on my own. And so I think that for sure, that was a barrier of just like, you know, trying and spending a lot of time like reading and educating myself on just like, I just went to the beginning, like I just did a lot of Google uh, of like, you know, how do I do this? And mm-hmm. um, that that was for sure <laughs> a barrier. Like it it kind of, you know, it definitely held me back a little bit and getting started, um, you know, on top of that, just, you know, starting a business, you have to have uh, a, a good like financial start with it. Like you have to have some capital in order to, to jumpstart your business. Um, and so that's not easy if you don't have like friends and family who can give that to you. And oftentimes, I see you know a lot of a lot of businesses, and I'm like, how do they how do they even generate income? You know, like I never see anyone going inside that store. Yeah. But you can obviously look and and probably assume that you know the owner is probably funded by their grandparent or like you know like their their cousins and friends and their own parents. And so you know, it, it a lot of businesses in uh, like my area, a, a good chunk of them are funded that way. Right? Like they have, uh, you know, parents and folks that are like selling houses and or, you know, selling vacation homes and like giving them their Mm -hmm. grandchild the money and they can start a business with it. And so being a a person of color, someone from the the city, like not having that type of resource, like that is a barrier, but you have these goals and you want to start a business and, you know, you want to do something new, take a risk and, you know, do something that no one else in your family has done before. And not having the resources and support to do that is like one of the hardest things for sure,
1: yeah, but don't let it don't let it scare you right? Don't let yeah. it scare you out of doing it because thank God now that there are so many uh, small business grants you know yeah. for you know yeah. first business owners. and I know you talked a lot about grant writing and grants, you know at the the top of this conversation. So it's just like we have to learn how to tap in with each with each other and also share those resources.
0: Right. I'm receiving. I'm receiving this, Crystal. I'm receiving this.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, that's like one of the most wonderful things I've ever seen within Up Together is like our our families coming together and, and doing that same exact thing, sharing resources. Like I can count on like hands and feet, like how many times I've heard, probably a little more than that, probably your hands and feet too. Like how many times I've heard families saying like, I want to start a business and someone within their group is like, Hey, I have the resources. I want to start a nonprofit. Hey, I know how to do that. I want to, um, I need a a nonprofit sponsor. Like I have someone that can help you. And so like that, that type of help is like so valuable and like, it's, it's so uncommon to see, but here up together, like you can see that anytime. And so, um, yeah, like, just just having that that support is like one of the the greatest things that anyone can have in in starting a business because you can't you can't do it alone like you need people to help you with all the you know the various parts of your business and just 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 in life like you need some people to help you like i remember there was like a a really large um lottery that was like maybe a couple of years ago and i remember saying to like my team they were like you know what what would you do with the money and i'm like i need three nannies. I think I only had uh, one daughter at the time. I said, I need three nannies. And they're like, why do you need three nannies? I'm like, because I need one for myself, one for my kids. And like, you know, one for my future kids. So like, you you have to, you need that help. Like, and, and so many women, like we try to do it all on our own and, you know, it just leads to burnout and, you know, not being able to, to rest and appreciate your, your, your life and, you know, really enjoy your children and the other things that you got going on. So I just encourage everyone to just like, you know, reach out to your family, your friends and, you know, whoever can help you. Like it takes a village for everyone, not just for a business, not just for, you know, raising children, but just like, just living, like you need a team.
1: And honestly I'm currently going through that like right now. Um I started a business about 2 years ago literally right before the pandemic started. Then the pandemic happened and I couldn't officially launch it. So now that things are opening back up and they're back to normal, literally the other day I was on the phone with my best friend. She's all the way in Florida and I'm just complaining to her, you know, or venting more so because we need those moments where we just let our hair down and we like sis. Yeah. I need you. Like, I need your ear. Like, we need to have a wine night or whatever you need, you know? And I was just telling her, I was like, girl, it's, I'm just having the hardest time trying to look for funding. And she was like, she's, she's a, a VP of a financial institute. She was like, sis, whatever you need, I got you. And I needed to hear those words so bad because sometimes it feels like, and again, we've mentioned this a few times between both of, you know, you, Crystal and, and Jessica, but Like you just, you just need that support. You just need to hear those words because sometimes you just feel like giving up. But when somebody comes in and they're like, look, you're not alone. You know, you're not by yourself. Like, what do you need? Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes that makes all the difference.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think just generationally, we're always in scarcity mode. I mean, we
2: have
0: 400 years of not being able to eat or take care of yourself, you know, everybody's like, this is mine. And you you don't want to share because of the things that happened to us and putting people against each other and, yeah. um, the scarcity, you know, I forgot the exact terminology that makes us not want to share with each other. Yeah. Um, that's put us back generations. I think social media, things like a podcast has super helped us to like, kind of become more of a family. Um, to have more togetherness. Yeah. Um, so that's huge. Yeah. I know for me, with um, you know, what what resources like changed the game for me. Um, I live on a block, super urban environment. I live one block away from the freeway in Southwest Detroit, but there's a church on the corner. And I started going to the church when I was like five for vacation Bible school. And around 13, my parents were b- raised really strict religious wives. So they didn't do that to us. We didn't go to church every Sunday or anything like that. I decided I wanted to start going more. So I started going um, quite a bit to like every single offering they had. And the pastor and his wife were just like, wow, like you're really a serious kid. And they made a small little like clerical type position for me. And I'll never forget my check. They paid me, (laughs) I want to say it was once a month. And it was $74.55. Like, they gave me $100, and then, like, taxes were taken out. And my parents had no money to give me. I'm talking about nothing, not a dollar. My parent contribution when I went to University of Michigan was $0 Mm -hmm. on my FAFSA. Um, That $74.55 saved my whole life and opened up a world of possibilities Mm
2: -hmm. for me. Girl, you walk in a room and get offered a job. Like, (laughs)
0: But I mean, it, it, passion. I mean, you're yeah. you're talking about when I walked into the, the interview. OK, so first of all, I didn't even know I was going to have an interview for the job <laughs> that I have now. He's like, oh, let's just um just come by. We'll talk. My boss. And he's like, oh, let's go talk to the CEO. I said, this is interesting. So I walk up and I have a super casual way about me. I'm not I don't throw around professional words. It's like against my religion. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So I'm speaking and I'm speaking crazy. Jessica talk. And the CEO, who's very, like, calm, very much so different sides of the rainbow Mm -hmm. of me, he's sitting there listening to me. And I can tell I just, like, struck a chord with him, like, this girl's kind of weird. So I just stopped the entire conversation and I said, I could sit here and be as professional as you think I should be, but then you wouldn't know what you're getting. Mm -hmm. I love that. And he paused. And that, that was that. He loves me for the patience. He don't really, he don't, he likes me kind of, but he loves my energy and what it, what it brings to customer service engagement numbers and things of that nature. But it's about having fun. It's about having fun, but it's okay for me to be myself. And as a mixed person, that's a huge problem. My peers, that's a, the peers aren't going for that. You being yourself, especially in the '90s, early 2000s, in a predominantly black environment, it was just not right. being that. But my parents, just—I mean, back to our parents. My parents always let me know it's okay to be me, and me being me has opened more doors than me. I would have never tried to be anybody else.
2: Yeah, Warming I mean, to if I tried balance. to be like
0: everybody else, I would got what everybody else got. Yeah,
1: because mm-hmm. you so, alone are enough. You alone are enough, yeah. and we don't hear that enough in our communities. We don't.
0: We don't. I remember as a child, going back to a previous question, um, I had uh, many things that were issues as a child were not people saying you couldn't be things. It was more so things based on body image, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I think many women, especially women of color, hear these messages about body image. Some of us take it in and realize that it's happening. Some of us don't. Um, But the example was I was in dance class in the ninth grade and my dance teacher said to me, you would be such a great dancer if you were smaller. Mm. And I, ne- I will never forget that. I will never forget that. And I looked at him like, because my parents, I was a little adult, so i was just. It didn't affect me in a childlike way. It affected me in a "you got to be effing kidding me" <laughs> type way. So I was just like, no respect for you. I'm killing these moves, like you know. <laughs> but then I also had a coach tell me I was gonna be fat. And he sold the same thing to a, a peer, uh one of my peers who I went to lunch with today, actually. And we saw him as adults and both of us had were just like, you know, just not fat at all. Um, and we were just like, you know, smush face, like, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? But Whereas that's not even something we're thinking about. That's not even something we are thinking about as co- like collateral or value of, a, of, a, of who we are. But we're constantly as women, as women of color, evaluated for so many different things. Mm-hmm. It is so easy for, for those kind of things to deter you in other ways, because they will create, if things could create a depression and anxiety in you, then that doesn't create space for the winning. That doesn't create space for growth and, and change. Um, so... The instances where people told me I could not were things that were like had no value,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's usually how it starts, right? When somebody you're you're
1: you're innocent, and then somebody plants a seed in your head and yes. makes you feel like you need more or you're not enough. Yeah, you know? shame on those people. You know, those yes. are the ones that have shifted a lot of things for a lot of people that have kept killed a lot of dreams and kept them from ob- obtaining things that they had always set out to do. So shame on him
0: and. Shame. You know, You know, think about these dancers. I love following Dex Rated and like all these dancers who don't have the physical type, body type that somebody Mm -hmm. says you have to. And these people are making millions of dollars. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like you said, imagine the people who didn't become dancers because Mr. Smith told them they were too big. But now they could have been making a million dollars. You have to be 19 and skinny. No, you can be 36 and just as jiggly and, and comfortable yeah, in your skin.
1: <laughs> That's, That's his stuff. That's Mr. Smith's yeah. stuff. Remember we talked mm-hmm. about other people's stuff, putting it on you? No, you keep your stuff to yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't have a problem with my body. I love myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it's interesting that when you said that
2: question, it, it made me think about think about that. Yeah. Girl, you could have been on Lizzo's uh, reality show where she was looking for dancers <laughs> who were full body. Right. Money. Right. And he killed it hey. oh he did oh i saw <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about And when he came on i was like ah. mm-hmm. yes, yes he, he did, did. <laughs> so uh what kind of goals are you guys working on currently any any things that you are all the things tell us all the things that you want to do <laughs> i'll let you go jessica
0: <laughs> Ooh. first don't get me started today hey, go ahead um, <laughs> So I I want to start a podcast. I had, um, not to sour the, the, the conversation, but I had a big traumatic event that happened years ago, almost 10 years ago. And um, it created me wanting to hide a little bit. Um, all this personality, all this human. I was on another talk and helping with something in California for increasing black and brown nurses. And what came out, the last question that she asked me was something similar to what you asked me right now. And I said, "I'm hiding. I'm hiding in my cozy little corner in Southwest Detroit. Um, so I it's time for me to be more present that God made me this funky person to to educate, to to share. So the way that I want to enter is in form of a podcast that'll be women's health related, all things me, but you know that women can can coordinate with and say, Hey, that's me too. Um, also some diversity inclusion, um, for OB as well as primary care residency programs, where I go and speak to them to educate them about black and Brown issues in um, obstetrics and gynecology, because what we're finding is there's a lot of sentinel events, whereas I was a part of one that made, made me go into my depression. Um, it's because people don't care about us yep. and people don't see us that we could be right in front of them and they don't see us um so my hope is to you know do something fun and lighthearted something that people can gravitate towards um but then also to educate the future obstetricians gynecologists and and primary care physicians that are going to be taking care of us um. Right now I train residents. I have the OB practice from the hospital. That's our partner hospital that recently started with me every Tuesday afternoon because of stuff that's happened at the hospital with our Hispanic patients who speak Spanish, just to get them kind of more integrated into, hey, this is our culture. This is how we get down. Um, but I would like to take the show on the road. Love it, and you should.
1: You should, amen. (laughs) Because amazing personality. I'm looking forward to it. You let us know how we can all support when it happens. You know, we're gonna slide each other each other's information. Keep in touch. Thank you. (laughs) But let us be uh, a part of that community that supports you.
3: Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Um,
3: What I'd like to do, so so random, um, but I really, really would love to one day own a campground. Uh, that's so random but I have like <clears throat> I have I have a lot of memories of my family traveling like my dad bought a camper van I, I guess we call it an RV van at, at today's day uh, but we used to call it a camper and so we would travel from Boston to Alabama uh maybe once or twice a year um and so like that that's just a, a very fond memory that I have um it's just of just like you know being somewhere outdoors with like family. And so this, this campground kind of aligns a little bit, a lot with um, the work that I'm doing with my business. And so um, I would love to have that campground to just really encourage people of color to get back outside. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and and I've never been actually like camping in like the open woods or anything like that. So I that's it's probably like my selfish way of like getting others to do that while I do it too. Um, but I I would absolutely love to own a campground for people of of color to get outside and connect and, you know, be by the the river and just be in nature, be one with nature.
0: It's funny that you say that I just became my daughter's, um, girl scout leader.
3: Oh, nice.
0: Um, yeah. Being outside, Mm -hmm. you know, the outside work, you know, um, you know, black people aren't allowed to be outside, right? Yes. So it's new. It's new for us. My parents, you know, I was outside, but I also was in Detroit, so it's you know, mm-hmm. concrete jungle. But we yeah. have Northern Michigan and things like that, and everything's kind of close. But being outside, you know, you doing that. I mean, I just can't believe the doors that would open for Bostonians to be like, I belong there.
3: Yeah, I would love to see it. I would love to see it. So that's something that I'm, I'm going to speak into existence. That one day I'll have a campground
0: up together retreat.
3: Come That's on, great. <laughs> <great>. <laughs> great. The podcast from there. Thank you. Yes.
1: Really feeling about being outside too and amongst nature. You know,
2: yeah, yeah. I'd love
1: to see that happen.
2: Yeah, thank you, Andy. You have a connection with water, right? You were saying that like the oh water is goodness. therapy for you.
1: It is therapeutic for me. Like some of the best memories with me and my family just going to the beach or just being by the water. And I find myself, you know, whenever something crazy is going on in my life, I just have to get to the water or be outside in some capacity. So thank you. Because I I think a lot of people, if they give themselves the opportunity, they might like it or they might be able to resonate with that. So we'd love to see you bring that into fruition. Definitely.
2: Crystal, you, you got it. You, you, you're onto something there. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: I hope, I mean, yeah. I, it would be
3: different yeah. for sure. <laughs> it would be different. Mm-hmm. But yes. I, I would love to do that and just, you know, give my children the opportunity to to camp in a, a safe space yeah. and just, you know, just something that's just inviting and, you know, like, like put your phones away. You know, my children, and they that. spend a good amount of time on YouTube and it's like, you know, I, I need you all to <laughs> unplug and like, you know, try some of the things that mommy did, like going outside and riding my bike and, you know, those type of things. So, uh, yes, one day it's coming. It's coming.
2: And talk it's about coming. land ownership, too. So, yeah. Come on. That's, right. mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: That's
0: a whole other yes, conversation. Land ownership. I'm trying to buy something in Southwest. Um, I know I was a part of something with up together previously. And the question that I was asked was, what would you do if we gave you this funding that we plan on, you know, giving to people in your community? And I said, the easy question would be childcare. That would be, you know, that takes all of our money. Um, (laughs) but the, but the bigger thing that I'd like to do is to own, you know, buy a two family flat, rent one unit out to one of the resident or resident groups, um, that I work with and the other one to a lower income family for a fair rent, you know, that's, you know, people are gentrifying and buying this stuff up and with us, not in mind. Nope.
1: Not at all. (laughs) Now I feel like uh, this entire episode was just nothing but free game. Right, because we have this really cool segment that we get excited about. minute and I both get really excited about called free game, and um, it's basically <laughs> where we ask you a question, and you guys give us like all these nuggets. But I'm like, man, these girls did not come to play in this episode. Like everything has been free game, um, and I want to take this question back to talking about like you know accomplishing goals, and and then also you know talking about that you know there are often barriers or systems again that are put in place to to make sure that we're not able to accomplish some goals but you know just to to bring this back what do you ladies have in mind like what kind of advice do you have for the, the government officials and nonprofit organizations or community groups because again this podcast is in mind to create change and to get people talking and, and thinking differently. Um, you know, what advice do you have for, for these organizations um, just in terms of changing the way that they think and, and do things um, to get them to stop doing some of the things that they're doing and actually support the people? Because sometimes, again, it just feels like it's just impossible to make your dreams come true. So what advice do you have for these organizations?
0: I think the first thing I'm going to say is we're here. We're at your doorstep. We weren't. Now we are. So y'all can play if you want to, but this Gen Z population is not messing around. So y'all got about 20 more years of this mess, or we can just do this now. We can start this now. So for me, as a midwife, you know, a lot of my stuff is, you know, because people disrespect us so bad. Mm -hmm. People aren't listening to black and brown midwives to listen to black and brown uh, nurses, to listen to black and brown patients. Um, So it has to come from the top. So thank you for for asking this question. You know, many times I get asked, well, what can we do at the hospital to, to make the experience better for black and brown people? You can tell these dumb people who work here, <laughs> <laughs> stop doing this, um, that they will, ha- you know, something will happen to you as opposed to the the lobbying of physicians that makes them untouchable. Um, so my first thing would be, hey, we're here. We're here. Change is going to happen whether, whether, you lo- whether you are ready for it or not. We're trying to be in conjunction with you. We're trying to make this a team effort. Um, as opposed to, you don't get to be a part of the party at all. Because I'm kind of tired. That's that's the space the space that I come from. Why do we feel like we have to baby everybody about this? That th- at this juncture, the only way to get things done is to give to get. <laughs> um, and many times we don't have the resources or energy to give anything. Yeah. Um, so it takes everybody saying this is not this is not what we're doing. Um, so in terms of hospitals. There being space for practitioners to sit, actually sit down with administration, because that doesn't happen. Administration, you know, legislation thing—it's just so separate. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not rah-rahing at the at the doorsteps of the legislature. Nobody cares about. They could be passing a bill right now about breast uh, pumps being free, and they're like, "Eh, I don't feel like paying for that. But if we got to go down there and scream and tell people why breast milk is better, and then you won't have to pay all this stuff in Medicaid, and you are. Come on, you guys, like this is not rocket science, but the fact of the matter is there's no care, right? right. So we're coming. We're coming. And we're gonna put our 20-year-old in your seat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Guess what? They're not gonna hold back either. They're gonna fully embrace that seat.
0: No, we see it happening already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, we right. see we see happening, the governments are changing overseas, how things usually happen. Um, You know, people are in their 30s. People are in their early 30s and making quite a bit of change. That shows the possibility because of social media to our younger generations um, and they'll know it's possible. So instead of standing aside. So I'll be with the rah-rah. Maybe Chris will come with something a little nicer.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I I love that. I love all of that. Um, I think I would say to just step aside. Right. Like mm-hmm. in, instead of using this money that you have to continue to host these these meetings and conversations about what you should be doing, like, give it to the people who know what they want to do with it. Right. Like it just it just seems like it's a waste. And, you know, I, I know that there's a lot of stereotypes out there like, you know, they they might use the money for the wrong thing. But like Jessica said, her example is wanting to to have housing for low income families and You know, supporting the community and those type of of ideas and and goals are very much so of a lot of people in communities. They just don't have the money. And like I I spoke with uh, an Up Together member just yesterday um, and she was saying how she just wanted to find funding to purchase some lots, some vacant lots in her city, in her town, Mm -hmm. actually next door to her so that she can use it and turn it into a tot lot. So basically, it's a, it'll be a place where children zero to eight will be able to to play and have you know a, a space where the mothers can come together and network and share resources with each other. You know, uh, talk about uh, their journey with breastfeeding or you know those type of things. And she said it's only two hundred and fifty dollars. So for me, I'm like, like two hundred and fifty dollars. Like the city should probably be giving those things away if you know if they have people who're gonna step up and do something positive, like so positive with it. Like, you know, why are you holding on to it for $250? Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. it's just like like get out the way and and like answer people's calls. Like like Jessica said, they're at your door. <laughs> like open the door and hear what they have to say. And, you know, if you have the funding and, and the resources and the ability to to step out the way, like do it, you know, like just just trust that it's gonna be done the right way and it's going to improve communities. And you know, I, I think that's often overlooked that you know, funding is going to go back to the community. I think a lot of, um, like, just government entities in itself, like, they just have this this perception that, you know, undervalued communities are just going to just take, they're on the take, right? They just want to receive. They're not going to do anything positive with it. But, you know, a lot of these families are, like, giving, they're, they're receiving and also giving back to the communities through, like, you know, babysitting for each other they're cooking for each other they're picking up each other's children from school and it's like like these people have community at heart and just just find what they're trying to do and and get out the way
2: that was some free game ladies thank you both so much all right well ladies again thank you so much for joining us i'm your host mena diaz alongside candy marie and you are listening to the moving up together podcast
1: Moving Up Together was created by the national nonprofit Up Together and produced by Creative Differences. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.